Hey guys, welcome to the show, Raise and Riffs. Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. We're also on Spotify and Anchor. And uh, it's going well. Do, do your thing. Uh, we're trying to hit 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're at, I want to say, 96. Let me double check that. Otherwise, my ADHD is going to just go crazy. So, yeah, we're at 96. Uh, so, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Give us those reviews of honest feedback. If you like it, tell us you like it. If you don't like it, you know, uh, it'll hurt the average a bit. But, uh, you know, it's your honest feedback. We're at five stars, which is right now an average of 96. We only have one bad star, so that's pretty cool. That tells me that the folks are enjoying it, and I like that. A uh, couple things. My stand-up special is still out on iTunes, Spotify, and all that stuff. Um, if you could purchase it, that would be great. Keith Reza, make it happen. It's also on YouTube. Um, if you know, like, Logan Paul or something, have him retweet it so I could get 50 million hits and get some money off of it. Um, I'm also on Cameo, uh, Father's Day, I make a great gift, book me, um, I like how, like, I've, I've, I've gone up to, like, seven or eight, so that's pretty cool, I really have fun doing it, and, um, you know, that's seven or eight people I could, uh, brighten their day, so that's cool. Um, let's see, I have two shows coming up, July 3rd, the day before my birthday, uh, at the rec room in Huntington Beach with Pablo Francisco. Uh, we're almost halfway sold out, so buy your tickets. I'd like to add a late show, and if the late show gets added and we do, we do good on that, we want to add a live raise of riffs. Um, the interview with Pablo. Pablo said he'll do it. Um, the club said they're on board. If the, they add a second show and the second show does well, they'll add the third show. So that would be awesome because uh, that would be a great birthday gift uh, because I, I would love to uh, interview Pablo again. And, um, you know, I, I've always wanted to do a Razor Riffs Live. Uh, we've had a couple opportunities. Unfortunately, they've never um, made it. But, um, you know, I would really enjoy it. I think it would be fun uh, just to talk and hear real laughter and stuff instead of uh alan lee <laughs> it's a joke um another thing alan lee will not be here today for this interview uh, as i said before he's been going through some stuff uh, so he he's probably done done uh the, this the rest of the, the series the not the series the season uh he's gonna take some time off and uh just get things back on track but we love him and we pray for him and we hope uh, everything's going well. Uh, we have a great show today. I'm, I've been very excited to look, talking to this guest. Uh, we were supposed to have him in April and then I got pushed to May, then I got pushed to June and we're finally having him today. Um, he's one of my favorite uh, character actors. And I, I think once you guys, God, I got the hiccups. Once you guys see his uh, credits, you'll be like, holy Lord, this was fantastic. Uh, you've seen him in Goodfellas, um, Cabin Boy, 
Dumb and Dumber, the Ice Harvest. Um, he's the first build star in this movie called Making a Killing. And you've seen him in everything. Um, his credits are beyond incredible. He has over 250 credits on IMDb. That's fantastic. I only have three. So he's whooping my booty. The great Mike Starr, who will be joining us, talking, and uh, it'll be fun. Uh, so subscribe, rate, review. Uh, follow the show on social media, Raise the Riffs, um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all that jazz. And I really hope you guys enjoy this interview with Mike Starr because I had a great time talking to him. Thank you guys so much, and enjoy. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee, right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey, Mike. Hey. It says it's you're connecting your audio. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Let me just do one thing, brother. All right. Finally get together. I'm sorry I've been switching things. No, no. I'm. Thank you so much for doing it. It's a real honor. I've been looking forward to talking to you for months now. So thank you. It's my honor and pleasure. I should have done it sooner. You know, what's funny is all of a sudden in my life, I mean, I live a, in a few different worlds, but all of a sudden with the showbiz opening up a little more, all of a sudden I had all these things happen. And at the same time, I used this time to get my yearly physicals and this and that, you know, and then I wrote down, like I thought I was doing something. <laughs> it was crazy. I had to do something for my eyes yesterday. Oh, wait a second. That was Tuesday, Wednesday. So. We got uh, it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. We oh. put the charger in, and then I won't do anything else. <laughs> I'm not the sharpest with this stuff. Forgive me. I'm so yeah. happy it works. Yeah. So, are you are you in Orange County? Yes. Oh. Um, I'll tell you why. You know, people. It's really funny. I've had people say uh, introduce me or. Now, wait, I got one more thing to put in here. You know what I think I'm going to do is put the stand up. How's that for an angle, all right? Yeah, that, that's perfect. I mean, I, I only I only released the audio, so no, no oh, one's okay. going to. Yeah. So, yeah, but Just, for us, I, I said, oh, geez, I did everything. I even <laughs> I, I combed my hair, everything. I was trying. I said, I don't want to be rude here. No, just the the because like if it's not in person, like um, the the visual is easier for my Aspergers to learn how to read people. Is that right? That's so interesting, man. That's I'm learning. Yeah. So it's oh, I see. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So like um, phone phone interviews are tough on me because like I I I can't feel energy over a phone, but if I see you and stuff, I can feel it. You know? Really? Yeah. What am I doing wrong here? I'm. Am I doing everything right? That's oh, no, you're you're doing you're doing great, great. I mean, so I should tell you a little history why I'm in Orange County because 
I actually, I, I don't get too upset, but like I did someone who was doing a favor and they, they done this small film and they're introducing everyone and this wonderful person, this woman, she wrote this uh, film I'll tell you about. It was uh, called, um, oh God, Offstage Elements. And it's got a bit of a following and I, it wound up at a Christian film festivals at one. It was just about a heavy metal group and 25 years later, revisiting the guys right so they all took different uh paths in life you know and it was kind of it was a good idea but i played a music producer and then said would you do me a favor come on the podcast or whatever there's a following so, <laughs> it was one of those nutty things i'd where i forgot about oh my god and i'm sitting with my my friend's car coming from la to orange county on a saturday after helping someone film something and i'm like i'm holding this uh phone up and Every now and then I could shut it off. And she introduces me as a Hollywood actor. And <laughs> went, no, 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 no. But later on, I said, now, on you of all people, she's a nurse. I said, do you think I went out to California to seek my fame and fortune? And that's why I'm living there? And I'm a Hollywood actor? <laughs> and I said, you think I'm this guy out of a 50s movie or something? So anyway... So, well, I didn't know. I said, you should know my story of all people. So my story briefly, which will hopefully make some sense to you, is that uh, I met my wife. My friend conned me into doing a musical in a small town. Tell me if this is boring. Here, but this no, is no, my... no. This is awesome. I, I was kind of nutty. Uh, always have been a bit, but I gave up everything and was going to find whatever. <laughs> find it all, you know, the meaning of life, whatever it was. Things didn't make sense to me. And I graduated school. A friend of mine, Tom Bray. Uh, and Tom Brady? No, Tom Bray. Oh, oh, I thought you said Tom Brady. I was like, you know, no, Tom no, Brady. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Like that. That's funny. That's, you know, so he's a, a producer in Portland and a teacher at um, grammar school. He did a lot of interesting things. But at the age of like 19, 20, 19 or 20, he says, I'm starting a summer theater with our friend Larry Pontillo, who lives in Connecticut. And Larry, God rest soul. And I said, yeah. I, I said, I'm just kind of, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I want to act what it's about. I want to, you know, <laughs> figure out life, whatever, you know. And it's uh, a, a different period. And it's the uh, end of the 60s. It's 1973. Uh, and it's like certain things didn't happen. And he goes, listen, I just need you to play the Scottish Colonel McKean in the musical 1776. I said, that sounds like fun. Okay, all right. Uh, so I I went and uh, did that. And my wife was part of the, in this small town, my wife, Joanne, was playing the flute in this small orchestra. We became friends. Two years later, <laughs> we had a Zen Buddhist wedding. And, and a couple of years later after that, a friend of ours, uh, really unique uh, Catholic priest, he married us. You know, we did that for the family. And 11 years after Joanne and I were married and three kids later, Joanne gets into medical school because that's wow. what she always wanted to do. And I think she had guidance counselors saying no and people telling her, no, you're not smart enough. She is now a pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon. Wow. The opposite of me, the most humble person. I Hopefully I'm compassionate, but she's super compassionate. Still works like she's in her 20s and uh, quite a character and 
she's volunteered in places like the Dominican, Uganda, and this country, and she's done things. So what happened was, I don't mean to interrupt, but I have a yeah. question. Isn't that sure? Isn't that, that's Always like interrupt. you have you to interrupt. Me. I'll tell you why. I'm like, you know, the, the Thanksgiving close to Macy's Day Parade. I go in 10 different directions. You get a real in like a kite. <laughs> well, I love that. But uh, my question was, is uh, that's pretty impressive because, like, especially back in the day, isn't that, like, harder for females to do? Whoa. You are one of a few people that gets that. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I, I thought you were going to slap me over Zoom. No, I was no, like... no, 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 no. That's not myself. God forbid. No. <laughs> That is so appreciative. I can't tell you, even people who come from families with doctors, there's some actors would break my balls as we say, oh, you married a heart surgeon. Oh, no, no, no. I married a woman who dropped out of school who was a music major. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's okay. I mean, we all did it together, the family, but she was amazing. She kept saying, I'm going to put you through too much. I said, are you kidding me? All the wacky people that I've subjected you to in our lives, the last, this was back in 1986, I told, I said, are you out of your mind? I said, you know, we come, we have such a luxury in America to do your dreams and this, that people come to this country. I'm old enough that, that my parents came out of the depression and her parents were, um, you know, somewhat a little after that, but there's a lot of people that would look back and say, geez, I wanted to do this or only if, I mean, look what you're doing. You see, I give so much respect um, that I'm trying to get the balls to do something like this, a podcast, or I'm trying to write now. And you have this opportunity. She said, you know what I'm going to put you through? And I said, are you crazy? I said, I don't want to look back in our 60s or 70s and say, wow, could have been a this, I could have been that. But, you know, I didn't want to, you know, the kids, oh, my husband and this and that. And that's the worst thing you can do to a family. Say, yeah, I would have been. I would have been a star if it wasn't for you. You know what I mean? That whatever. Yeah. You know, but people do actually do that. I mean, my parents were never like that. My mother came from an Irish Catholic background that uh, my brother, Bo, who you see in acting, who was my stage mother, said, listen, Ma is great. She loves us. But from their background, they would um, said that they would all be in heaven. Ma would be in heaven if all four of us took the post office test which you see like on Seinfeld, you know, and there's nothing wrong with working for the post office. And many times I wish I had taken the test when I was struggling and trying to pay the rent with three kids, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but the thing is you, my wife, I just said, you gotta go for it all. You got something special. You would see her do things that were amazing for people. And she was just, you know, she was in her early 20s. I mean, just so many great things and people would, lean on her come to her you know and she was the quiet one and i was this guy and i worked with kids in the neighborhood i come from a housing project that was a working class area so what happened was my wife got um finally into med school and we had to live in the bronx which was a a whole different world and uh, um uh and and we had lived in a a really interesting area in queens and then what happened was she uh placed as a resident at Columbia Presbyterian, which is called, and I think you might know the guy who helped her out the most. And I, I used to go, over, we used to go over the house and the, and her, I did a film for his wife, Lisa, Dr. Oz gave oh. my wife the biggest opportunities. And heart surgery is something, uh, in those days, especially, uh, I want to tell you how sharp you are to point this out because so many people don't get it. And I don't want to sound like I'm on a soapbox when I tell people, but 
she was a um, she was one of the first there, right? But then she fell in love with pediatric heart surgery, and she does evidently. Um, so we lived in uh, we went to the Bronx, then uh, a little north of the Bronx, and we had a house, and then uh, you know Dr. Oz, I call him Mehmet. He gave her all these opportunities and really felt, wow, that's that's great, and should have and really trusted her and helped so much. And then what happened um, was she fell in love with a pediatric heart, so we went to Seattle for a year, and then finally in like '99 or 2000, Joanne knew that my two favorite cities in the country, and I'm a New Yorker, was San Francisco and Chicago, and she got a job in Chicago, which became a whole other life for me. <laughs> yeah, Chicago's awesome. And, you know, I worked there in the 90s. And even uh, Robert De Niro said to me one time, he said, you really love this place, don't you? You know, and he would say to me, I said, yeah, that movie really introduced me to Chicago in 90. And I, for some reason, would get these jobs. And I, I got to make some really great, iconic friends I'm still with. A couple um, die before their time for whatever medical, you know, physical, I'm not, not um, anything outrageous or drugs or, or, uh, or, you know, shootings. I'm just saying they died before their time because they were in their fifties and I'm going to actually go out and do a, a small part in the film out there in a few weeks, but I have grandchildren in Chicago. My daughter wound up staying there. My oldest daughter, she's a teacher there and kindergarten and uh, she's worked in some interesting areas. And my son works for UL, the uh, safety company, uh, uh, the electric underwriter laboratories. He works out there. They stayed in the suburbs. So two with him and one with my daughter. And then I have three grandchildren in Jersey. My daughter's a speech pathologist. Uh, and my, my son also has a second job. He's uh, really into the restaurant business. And uh, so anyway, what happened was we were there. And then my wife got this big opportunity in New Jersey in Newark. And to give you my, I know I'm making this long. Uh, oh, no, no, please. This is so, so interesting. I love it. But it. Oh, great. So it explains that. So we were in Jersey and everything was great. And then I was just explaining to someone in 2008 when everything hit. I think it was Lehman Brothers was the benefactor of the pediatrics program. Mm -hmm. And everything shut down. And here we are in New Jersey. I had just done a Broadway show two years before. Uh, Nathan Lane got me in the odd couple because Brad Garrett um, had to leave and uh, I replaced him. He came back sometimes and covered for Nathan. And I, it was such a great experience. I'm riding high in New Jersey and uh-oh. So my wife even started volunteering. She was out of work two years and she would even volunteer more and do many interesting things. And I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? And in Orange County in like 10, 2010, I think, or 11, uh, I read someone she had worked with or had been a resident with in, um, at Columbia Prez is a big heart surgeon out here at the Children's Hospital of Orange County. And he, uh, he runs the program and brought my wife on. But what I didn't realize is something called ECMO, exterior corporeal. Oh, it's taken me like 10 years and I still can't remember. But it it's like... One friend told me, um, who's in the medical field, that it's when it's in dire situations, serious things. It keeps, I think, the child alive outside the body, if I'm, if I'm correct. But 
She never, my wife, Joanne, never told me this, that, you know, she was brought out. I'd go to some event and they'd say, you know, uh, Joanne actually revitalized the um, program, uh, the, uh, the ECMO program here and helped, you know, with the children. I said, really? And then when I finally tell her, I said, you never told me. I said, yeah, that's true. She's not like, it's not arrogant. It's just, it's funny. Like if she's in the photos and they're giving an award to her, you see her in the back and it's just kind of uh, an inherent uh, shyness in it too, but it, very interesting. She's really cool. You'd love her. Someday you'll meet her. She's a real classic. Um, well, I found out you were, you were in Orange County because I, I was talking oh. to my I talked. I was talking to my friend maybe three or four months ago when you said you would do this, uh, Fred Stoller. Ah! Oh my and, God! He was and just I was, on my mind this morning. Yeah, and like, um, because like, yeah, I've never met you. And like, when my Asperger's, like, I like to interview nice people. I was like, oh, is Mike Starr nice? He's like, oh, he's very nice. I was like, really? Because he punched you. <laughs> oh, I got a great story about that. That's how I met Fred. Yeah. You know, I was thinking of him because. I was thinking of doing this short film, and I'm wondering if he'd just be too standoutish because he's so brilliant. Yeah, I mean, he people don't realize. I mentioned him, like, we do these cameo things. There's a service cameo, and you, you get some money to, you know, congratulate. Oh, like the, the, web, the website cameo. Yeah. Well, you do I'm nice actually going to buy one from you after this interview from my friend, ah, Norm. So. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah and I, especially when it's family and friends, I really, I obsess over it. Like people do like 30 seconds and they'll get a thousand. I charge like 50. Maybe I should charge a little more, but I, I, uh, I, it's really funny because I get so obsessed with if someone says, this is for my friend, my, my daughter, my, this, she's, I just did one. My wife very rarely asked me about it, but there was a nurse who just finished school. And I don't know if it's who did it, they, who asked me to do the cameo. And I was telling my wife about it because, you know, she's excited and she's a big fan of Dumb and Dumber, big yeah. fan of instead of me. So I was kind of not putting on. I was thinking, ah, let me wait. And Joanne, my wife, comes back. She was on call the whole weekend, um, Saturday and back and forth. I said, did you do that cameo yet? I went, well, I was starting to do, but my eyes were, I had a reaction on my eye. I almost was going to beg off. And I said, no, I can't keep doing this to this guy. <laughs> so I, I. I, uh, I, I, uh, I was, I'm trying to think, oh, yeah. So I said, eh. She said, uh-huh. And then she ran out to the store, and I went, I think that's a sign that I should try to do this now because she starts work Monday, the nurse. Okay. So I went upstairs, and I did it, and I talked, and it was really funny. My wife, Joanne, comes back from whatever, because I don't know how she finds this time, but she does cook some very special healthy things. I'm in the best shape I've been in like 25 years. <laughs> she got yeah. me a Nordic crack, right? So she, I said, you know, when you said that to me, I took it like, she goes, good, I'm glad you did that. I said, because I knew that she was starting, I haven't heard their review yet, but Cameo, a lot of times I tell the story about how I met Fred, but people don't realize that he wrote on Seinfeld. I, I give him such grief because he's one of those guys that, wants to act he's brilliant on everybody loves raymond he did all these sitcoms but i said you're writing on seinfeld don't go anywhere please <laughs> please seinfeld's your favorite show yes oh not nice. perfect yeah <laughs> you know i have a friend mike haggerty um if you looked him up oh you'd love talking to him mike haggerty um 
Do you watch Seinfeld? Have you watched Seinfeld? Uh, to be honest, I've only seen three episodes because uh, my uncle was on those three episodes. What was your uncle on? Uh, he played David Putty. Ah! So, yeah. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> yeah. So We like, just did a thing. We just did a, a, a pile. I don't know. I did a small thing in it, but he was uh, playing the guy. This guy I, I had to do like some mob guy, whatever it was. It was a... Uh, but his son, I think, was going to be in it. But I got to meet him in Toronto, David. Oh. And I'm trying to think what... You mean Pat? Patrick, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right, I'm calling him David, right? <laughs> and we used to teach got to my meet brother. Putty. <laughs> my brother, Bo, who's acted so much, but he had a... He's so opposite of me, and he talked like this. Yeah, when you get him on the phone, you go, yeah. So we started calling him Putty, my brother. He winds up doing... Uh, baseball uh, TV movie or something with uh, Patrick up in uh, Toronto. Okay. And we were laughing about it. I said, you're, you're like father and son. We were joking. So now I'm doing, I did this thing. I think it was when I was doing the Gene Wilder one. I, I got to do these two really cool movies I'd love you to see. And Gene Wilder's like maybe the finest person I've ever met. <laughs> He's up there in the top 10. And you know who Gene Wilder is? Yeah, he was Willy Wonka. Yes. Yeah. So my wife got him a first printing of the book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, really? And I, yeah. And he, he was just like one of the kindest, most interesting human beings. If you ever see Young Frankenstein, he wrote that. One of the Mel best Brooklyn. comedies of all time. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'll have people come from Eastern Europe and I'll say, <laughs> you want to know America, what I think America is, that the best way you can understand it? Young Frankenstein and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Planes, Trains was fantastic as well. Right? Definitely so, top 10. And I, I played the clown in Uncle Buck with uh, John Candy. Yeah. So, hey, Patrick, so what I was going to say about Patrick is that finally I go in a restaurant and we meet. And all I did was laugh. And he started laughing. I was like, I got to tell you, you work with my brother. My brother, he was just like his spirit. He was so kind. And oh, so, yeah. and he's like one of my all-time favorites. So, but I was going to say our friend Mike Haggerty was on, but he was a big guy from Second City. He's doing an HBO series out there, but he's in so many things, Mike Haggerty, if you look him up. And Mike, Mike is on cameo. Oh, did you ever watch Friends? Yeah, with uh, Matthew Perry and Jennifer yeah. Aniston. Yeah, yeah. Well, he played, he played a custodian. He played the janitor. And he built this whole world down there. But he had to give dancing lessons to, uh, he did about 10 episodes, I think. 10, but my granddaughter knows him from that, Mike Haggerty. Oh, to Joey, uh, he had to give, um, all of a sudden I'm going to, Matt LeBlanc, he had to give him dancing lessons and uh, in, in the, in the uh, show. But Mike said to my son the other day, because he was visiting out in Illinois, he's, he's filming in Illinois, he said, your dad knows every line from every Seinfeld, you know, and it's like a, a Bible to me, you know, it's like, to me, it expresses a certain, a lot of a cultural background I was from, but I think it's very universal. And then Curb Your Enthusiasm takes it further. But um, uh, Fred, Fred was such a talented writer. And Fred and I did a reading for George Gallo, who did Midnight Run and whatnot. And George wound up doing the movie, only De Niro, and I'm trying to remember if it's John, uh, uh, John, oh, it's a young, relatively young Italian-American actor is playing Fred's part. But my friend Frank Renzulli, who wrote on um, the best episodes of uh, Sopranos, 
he told George when we were there, because we're all close, he said, George, you got lightning in a bottle. Mike and Fred got to do this. But of course, the money people, you know, you, yeah. they did this and that. But Fred and I, I'm trying to think of something to do with them. And I was thinking of something even today, because he is such a special talent. And we did this reading. It was like the movie The Producers. I was like Zero Mustel, and he was like Gene Wilder. And I'm sure they'll be great, because De Niro's De Niro. And I think Morgan Freeman's going to be. Sam Elliott did the reading, uh, did a, another character. And for, that's the last time I saw Fred. And I'd like to see him again. But it was so funny. Fred just, I was trying to talk to Sam Elliott. He was asking me something. Fred came up. Hey, 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 were you there? I said, Fred, shut up. Shut up. It was just like, I was like <laughs> character in Dumb and Dumber. I'm going, Fred, I'm trying to talk. I've been waiting to meet him for 35 years. And we're talking, and you're coming over asking about what he wants for lunch or something, what he eats for lunch or whatever. We were laughing. Fred is a, a very special talent. And uh, yeah. and as uh, is your Uncle Patrick is, is and you watched, he was on more than, well, you know, it's hard to tell with Seinfeld, because I've had friends on it that I thought did like five episodes. They did one. Or some I, people. Patrick I did a lot. He was a mainstay. I just remember he was on it because when I was a kid, he was telling my dad, hey, I just got on Seinfeld. I'm getting, and this was like in the mid-90s, like I'm getting $3,000 an episode, which back then was a lot of money. Oh, absolutely. You know? and was uh, a lot for a sitcom. Yeah. And I I remember that because now I look at it and I'm thinking, it's not a lot of money, you know, like now. But back then, it was like a million, you know what I mean? No, it was really great. He, what he, uh, what he did also. If you ever see the episode when he's the uh, New Jersey Devils hockey fan and they're all around, oh yeah, him. and he's like Devils, <laughs> yeah, and he goes, "Got to support the team." People walk around. I have people all the time. I go to again. They go, "Got to support." You know how much we quote him, and we try to do him. Yeah, that's right. He had the most unique character, one of the most unique iconic characters ever in TV. He yeah. created. He really did. And he's the mechanic. Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> I, I thought I was going to see him on this job. It, it was a strange production. I'm not quite sure what they did. And uh, they were bringing us all at different times. And it, they even couldn't find a location for a scene I did. And they just cut the scene out. It was kind of a wacky production. But he was, um, I believe, playing the guy who gets killed. But I was... Um, a mob a friend of I, I can't even remember now, but um, uh, it was called Scarlet. That's right. Yeah. So they're trying to sell it to whatever networks and whatever. Uh, and and uh, I, I thought I was going to see him. You know, that was kind of one of the promises. Oh, you're going to get to see me, Patrick. I said, I would love to see him again. And there were Brian Doyle Murray was on it. And he he's done so many things. And he's out at Bill Murray's brother out of Second City. So that covers it. So what I was finally going to say, I, I drifted away, is that when my wife got the job here in Orange County, New York got all up and interesting. So I've had to go back and forth there, this and that. Chicago got busy. And I joke, whenever I go away somewhere, the business gets busy in that city. And I also, like, I did a show called Ed. I moved to Chicago, away from New York, and I get a job in New York and New Jersey on a series. So we would laugh about that whenever I'm living in the city. So I'm in Orange County now, basically, because my wife's old school and dedicated. 
So she wants to be 15 to 10 minutes because she's the type that runs out in the middle of the night and yeah. work a day or something, you know, saving someone's a kid's life. And, and she also covers for adults. But I, I really, I took 15 minutes probably to explain to you why I'm living here, but it drove, especially because this woman who's such a sweetheart was a nurse. I said, you called me a Hollywood actor? I was known as <laughs> the last holdout in New York when everybody, because I had kids, right? Yeah. I had kids and my parents were still alive. And actually my kids not only had grandparents, they had great grandparents. So in the 80s, everybody was going out, you know, the mid 80s, like, hey, I even sent my brother out. And the running joke was Mike is sending all the actors, especially anyone that even looks Italian or anything. And I'm not, it's funny, speaking somewhat, but I grew up in a very mixed background. The, he's sending everyone to LA so he can have what jobs are in New York. But New York was very different in those days. It was theater, commercials. And then a, the first like job that would come around, regular job would be law and order. So yeah. that's why you see all those people on it. You know, I did four of them, uh, of, of, of different types of law and orders. But what happened was that I felt I wanted the kids to, you know, we tried, we tried to be in one local area. And I'd come out to LA, I'd even bring the kids. And I, uh, especially when it was so heavy on residency with my wife, I would, uh, I'd luck out out of nowhere and get a job that has me working with Roberto Benini and all the classic Pink Panther people and Blake Edwards, great director, you know, iconic, famous. And all of a sudden, I'm in Europe. I was struggling to pay the rent one day, walking around the Broadway show league saying, hey, you're leaving the guys and dogs, you're leaving a show, I need a job, you know? <laughs> and the next thing, I'm on the pay phone, what? I'm going to Nice, France in three days? Okay. You know, that, that's my life. That's been my life for about 30 or 40 years. Like, where are we going to get the rent? Oh, hello? That commercial's been picked up. Yeah. Well, because I, I live in Huntington Beach, and a lot of people think Oh, no that, kidding. Yeah. And a lot of people think that LA's far. It's not far. Traffic just makes it far. Yes. You know yes. what I do. You know I haven't since this whole um, whole situation with COVID. But I'm known as the guy that gets on MetroLink and the subways. People just laugh. I get on all the public <laughs> transportation. I have a friend who lives in Laguna Beach, uh, decorated Vietnam veteran, work government this and that. He's a big hotel guy, and he goes. You really should write a book on how to get around Los Angeles on and, and Orange County on public transportation. I mean, I used I take Amtrak, but I'll take an Uber. And I also have a few friends down here. And this project we're trying to do once in a while, a friend will drive up to Burbank, say, and I'll jump in the car with them. A friend of mine owns a. Uh, we're trying to do some. He's from England, and he has a uh, non-professional soccer team here. It's like in. Um, lake forest and we'll ride up to i'll go to the game or i'll go to the practice and we'll ride up together and i find different ways i always have of travel i gave up my car like three four years ago because oh. you know where i'm at i'm right at um you know the tustin marketplace yeah I'm right on the order of uh irvine really, yeah yeah irvine and tustin i work right there we could get together sometime yeah. oh i guarantee you i will yeah where, you, where do you work I work at a, I mean, I don't want to say because it, it's a podcast, but I'll email oh, okay. you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I work at a grocery store. Yeah. Can I, if I mouth it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just don't want to tell you which one because, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, you can't. Yeah. yeah. But I, I got a feeling. Jeez, do you know, I'm wondering if you know my friend, um, 
Sal Bal Sal, um, he's uh, got a production house up there. I, I know now I better not give last name Sal. Uh, he's from Brooklyn and out here. And his friend Mark, geez, I'm trying to think. Do you do you know people at the Tustin Golf Course? No, you know I don't. I don't. I'm right. I, I, maybe I shouldn't be saying those, but I'm right around. <laughs> you know? Oh, God, we have to. No, it's very simple. Yeah. So my. Um, it's so cool how close we are. Yes. No, we definitely got to get together. I don't know. I guess I should do an email, give you my phone number and all of that. And you have my email and I believe I have yours, right? Because you sent that to me. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And get we'll, off. Do that. No, that's a that's an DM absolute... you on Cameo because I need you to do one for my friend Norm. So you got uh, it. For, for Father's no, this, Day. No, this is a, a an absolute problem. This this a couple of guys at the store you mentioned, but it's the one near me, and it's so funny. I especially during this COVID, you know, my wife was like, she was treating me like I was like ready to, you know, uh, I was the most vulnerable person. It's funny. I said, you're going in in the middle of things, yeah. and I'm this big guy, and you won't let me leave. I had to sneak out of the house. <laughs> Double mask, you know what your I mean? Your mom was, but, your wife was probably in more of a risk zone because she works at the hospital. Yeah, and yeah. and just treat me like that was really funny. But that's the way she is. She'd walk in the middle of a firefight or, or something with a battle. She's a character. She hates when I tell these stories. But as we tell, I'll tell you more. But this is amazing. <laughs> no, because this is the way more and more I feel about life. And I'm not going to get too much uh, philosophical or mystical, but just. It's so funny that this is the perfect time we took. And I almost begged off today saying, I really got to go get that president. I should go real. No, my wife said, just do it. I oh, said, okay. Yeah, I because your I'm wife. About my eyes. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Said, last night, because I had this allergic, I'm okay now, allergic reaction with my eyes over the weekend. I had the wrong medicine in. So I went to the guy yesterday. I said, oh, you're going to be fine. Just take this, this, and that. And I was saying, do I look already? And Joanne just, she is a doer. Yeah. And I have been in my life many times a procrastinate. Anything that I've done exciting or dangerous a lot of times, maybe we subconsciously attract us, but I had to be forced unwillingly into it. Do you know what I mean? I'm not the guy that is a thrill seeker or looks for battles it sounds like an old 40s line trouble finds me but all of a sudden i find myself like dangling in some dangerous thing on a film or tv or or resolving some issue it's like uh like i've been protected but also here now it's about time you get out of your comfort zone so i'm doing things like that in writing but it's weird because i i just did the show the blacklist and had all these great reunions and right. David Spader was just out of this world classy to me, and everybody was. But there's all different people I saw in it. And there's a fellow from the Bronx who was a stuntman on it, very respectful. He knew my friend very well, and he came up to me, said, I just want to tell you, that all this stuff was happening on the set. He goes, my daughter, they were talking to us on life support, and Johnny, uh, my, my friend, our friend, mentioned your wife, and then your wife helped us in whatever it was. I'm trying to remember. And said, uh, uh, and my daughter is like thriving and doing great now, saved the life, you know. And, and again, it, and that's like my favorite recognition. I'll have people come up to me, but I like when they walk past me and go, Dr. Star, or someone comes that I have people dumb and dumbering me at the, which is nice, and kids, all of a sudden someone will come up and say, Aren't you Dr. Star's husband? 
hook huh. and they point to a three-year-old, saved my life then. And they, they come in every ethnic group and ages and everything. And they come up and they, they come up and I say, oh, I got on the phone. I said, oh, yeah. And she remembers everyone. It's phenomenal. So how, so how cool is that where like people recognize you from your work, but also your wife's work? Like, isn't better, that like, yeah. Much better. Like, yeah. You know, Lord. you know, um, and the one thing is the stuntman wound up, he goes, oh, I live in Laguna Niguel. So I'm saying, it's really strange. I said, I'm meeting new people. And now you say this, and you mentioned Fred, who was on my mind this morning. And I go, wait a second. Like, I've got these relationships. Like, I gave up my car. I walk. So one of those stores we mentioned, that's one of my main places I go to. And we get, and there's like two guys working there. We're going to go to an Angels game. We talk about, I want to take them to any. We talk sports. We talk different things. I go in another place. And it's like I'm living in a, a, a village again because it, it's like I feel like I'm living um, the way I lived in Queens or when my wife got into med school. I met people. And it's harder to do that in Southern California because they're not walkers or, you know, people yeah. get in the car and, and not knock it. It's just a, this tendency, you know, Oh, I'm bicycling. I'm healthy. That's great. That's wonderful. But I'm saying where people don't just walk up and talk to people, you know what I mean? And that's I think what it's I also a sign saying you shouldn't, it's a good thing you didn't cancel. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause then I would have been saying, yeah, I wonder what that's like. Yeah, I really should do this, but oh God, now I got to go out and do this. But then Teddy's moving away. There was an episode again. See, I quote everything with Seinfeld. There was an episode where Seinfeld would like lose a job, right? And the, and it's happened to me, series. And then all of a sudden I get a letter from Kevin Smith. I want you to do this movie. Like Seinfeld all of a sudden would get a job or he'd lose something and find something, right? So finally, Kramer, the character, Michael Richards played the Michael character. Michael Richards, yeah. Right, so Kramer comes up and says, you know who you are? He goes, who? He goes, you're even Steven. And <laughs> one of my best friends is moving to Arizona, and he's lived all over, you know, Chicago. I mean, he'll still keep his place. But he was like one of the only people during this whole, you know, lockdown whatever that we would meet. You know, and he's the same age. He just gave up his motorcycle, uh, he literally did a was a half a million miles on this bike, and he he I think so he he did and he went in every province in Canada, every state in the in the U.S. and and he's not like hey man just he's just an interesting guy and he's leaving and today was one of the days he wanted to see me. I said oh guess what I got prostate today. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> That well, I'm happy happen. to take his place as your new best friend. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> I'm saying you and um, this the guy from Laguna, I'm saying, wait a second. So now I have new people. It's like, I'm even Steven. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just such a great connection because when I meet people like yourself that seem to have the, and again, I'm, I want to get away. I don't want to sound like some new age thing that's all over the internet and things like that. Not that there's anything wrong with positive things, but uh, um, it's like, huh, wow. On one end, I'm meeting new people. The other end, uh, we do these um, Zooms every, uh, we do a Zoom every uh, Thursday we try to do. And I was in a group in 1967 that lasted for two performances. <laughs> I think we had three rehearsals. Uh, 
and I named us the bathtub ring. And our friend, uh, Gary Babagallo flip, uh, he's involved, uh, in, uh, I think it's San Pedro or Long Beach, uh, with a, uh, he runs a rehab program. He went a certain way. It's like this woman's film. And he, uh, he has a, um, He's involved in a small church there, but he's doing great. We talk. He was the wild one among us, you know. He was the one that got into this and that. He was our yeah. drummer. And my cousin Paulie was the lead singer. And I've sung, but I played bass, not the greatest bass player, but Ricky Heim and our friend Kieran Bergen, who's in Huntington Beach, he, who was brilliant. He worked for uh, Boeing. Um, he's building houses for Habitat. We've connected with our friend EO, and we all meet, but the top the one I want to say top one I meant musically, my friend Ricky Hyman went on to be a classical music conductor and teacher. And my brother, Bo, used to say, his real name was Bill before acting, and he played pro bowl. He said, he used to sell, tell us in the 60s, okay, so you're a good singer. You're, okay, you got Ricky Hyman, who's the only guy with musical talent. Uh, Paulie's not the greatest singer. <laughs> He's your lead singer, can't sing. And he would joke, I don't want this to come out. He goes, Flip's got no rhythm on drums. <laughs> so let's see where you guys are going to go. And actually, we could have really, we were very unique and could have developed something. And we always found different people that we were trying to make our fifth guy. But Kieran came in and he's just this humble, talented guy. And he, he's dedicated his life to doing these habitats. And uh, he's retired. He had a perfect score on the college boards in math. And we came, but the, the four, the initial four. So we're we're telling stories from like we're five years old, ten mm -hmm. years old, going to the Mets in 1969 and being there. And uh, was that having, when they were good? Yeah, they, yeah. Well, All right. <laughs> no, we went there when they were actually. I was going to wear a shirt for you. My cousin gave me, and I said, "Oh, I don't know if people even appreciate." It, it was 1962 to Polo Grounds. I'm old enough that when I was a little kid, I was a New York Giant fan before they went to San Francisco. Oh. So I'm a Dodger fan. And in the projects, there were so many people in no air conditioning. So they had Yankee fans, Dodger fans, and Giant fans. And they were all like in the same, it was really interesting. They were all in the same city. It was a magical time in New York. And the Mets were terrible in 62. Uh, and then out of nowhere in 69, this magical time. And then they were really good in the eighties, and they should have won a lot more. And that there's a lot of wacky stories. Why didn't there's books out? But they, in '86 Mets, but they've they've had a, a well. They were in the World Series five years ago. But it's funny, they they have they've had all these heartbreaking things. You know, it's like you say when they were good because they've had these teams that competed. But we were there at the magical moment, the miracle Mets. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, and so. We talk about that. We talk about all the local things that happened. There used to be a guy who came around shopping knives, an old Italian guy. I mean, we weren't old enough to have ice, although Gary Flip says when he'd go to Brooklyn uh, to visit his Italian relatives, there'd be really stuff you'd see like out of a movie, you know? I mean, it was really yeah. old school. And uh, uh, <laughs> that was uh, – that was uh, that's – on one end, the reuniting, not living in the past, you know, but really enjoying it. And then we talk about contemporary and what we're into now or, or let's get back together and do this. And when I went to New York, I got to see uh, my cousin Paulie, who I know since I'm three, and Ricky, I know since I'm 10 or 11. And 
I got to reunite with so many people, but people on the set coming up to me, the teamster captain. I was good friends with his dad 20 yeah. years ago. The prop guy, his dad was the prop master on Ed. We get on the phone. Um, James Spader just treated me with such class. Megan Boone, she's young. She was on, I don't know if you've ever seen Blacklist, and she's wonderful. But James Spader comes up and tells me he loves Mad Dog Glory. We have laughs. Everyone thinks he's like, uh, you know, uh, um, but uh, all of a sudden, James says, you know, my the guy who plays my bodyguard, Dembo, yeah. He's from Brooklyn, and he was a fireman for 20 years. We start talking, and we had two close friends that were lost in 9-11, one, like, from my neighborhood. Another guy was trying to help out. I was supposed to play football for his uh, dad in Brooklyn on this all-black team, uh, minor league team. I was supposed to I'd be the <laughs> – there was a white quarterback, I think, and me, and then I started getting work. My football stories we'll tell later, but, <laughs> but uh, my brother was a pro. And I have my own little stories, but two people that were lost in that limb, he said, no, I worked with uh, Bobby Ring. I said, yeah, they had, they had his engine going in, 18, ladder 18, going in to the World Trade Center. That was all around the world, that picture, you know? And, and, and Keith Glasgow, I said, I saw his dad years later and saw his children. And, and, and we started talking. This was happening every day on the set of Blacklist. Yeah. <laughs> And everyone, and then the final one was the producer comes up, wants me to read this nice young lady in the 30s or 40s, I don't know, blonde head lady, just, just coming up. Hi, Mike, we're so happy to have you. I said, Yeah, yeah, well, it's my first job and whatever, you know, first time travel. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like during this uh, COVID, I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I said, There was no production. I did produce a, a film, I'll tell you about a short film. And I did something, but I mean, this is my first, like, wow, you know, they're flying me to New York and we're laughing. She goes, well, you know who my dad is? And in the business, when they say that, you wait, no, you know, some famous star or whatever. Charlie Benson, the funeral director from your neighbor. Charlie, he was wow. a saint. He was involved with the local Catholic church there. And he was, he, his funeral parlor was in between the two neighborhood bars there that the cops and the bookmakers and all all sorts of people used to go to and old timers and the young players and your and life has a lot of connections it's awesome yeah it's <laughs> wild isn't it yeah and then he tells me i call him he said do you remember the time i gave you a ride into the city you had a commercial audition we're talking like the 70s maybe late 70s early 80s i don't know i said yeah he goes and i asked you to stick around because we had to pick up a body at a famous hospital <laughs> and you helped me i said really i remember helping you in queens you know one time and and if you're around gamble is we had this guy i couldn't tell anyone that i did that because funeral paul is this one guy eddie who was in actually they had an article in him on sports illustrate he was so god rest so he was he wouldn't go near he wouldn't even talk to him because funeral paul's and funeral directors were bad luck I had a lot of funny stories about that, you know, and, and, uh, do you want me to cut this story out? Cause you can't tell anyone, but you're telling the whole world. You know what? <laughs> cut yeah. Cut out that because it's going to be in a film I'm writing. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About Eddie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> cut that out. But you can mention that Charlie was Charlie Benson was really. The old time. Yeah. I'd rather you save that because. Because enough's been stolen out of stories uh, with me. So 
Uh, I was just saying it to make you laugh. (laughs) No, it doesn't matter. You can. No, it's true. No, now that you think about it. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio.
because I got a podcast one time and I was uh, telling a story about being on Ed Wood. And I, I told the story and I said, Ooh, that might come off a little weird. Can you do me? And I called the guy back like three times. Would you make sure you took that out? Because that could be taken wrong. We in the wardrobe guy and, and Johnny Depp, because Johnny Depp was so great. Oh, was this was, the one where you said that uh, you purposely avoided calling him or something? Or uh, he gave you his number and you just... I oh, no, 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 no. Now I'm trying to think that that was another one. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I like to do my research because I don't like to ask the same questions. So I like to listen to a lot of interviews, you know, before, because I feel like when people ask the same questions, it's just kind of like, I feel my, like, I like to have a special one-on-one. -on -one. Yes. Yes. Well, you got me. I have to tell you, one of the only people that I froze, I froze up in front of two people. Gene Hackman complimented me once, the great actor. He was one of my idols. Is one of my idols, but uh, I asked him to do this. Really? Yeah, he they might be very shy. No, they they said he's retired and he's not yeah, in yeah. good health. And I said, well, this is a oh, perfect is that right? time. That's what I said. And I said, this I is a perfect time because he might die. Like yeah, I'll never I'll never interview him if he dies. No, you make a very good point. You know, Gene uh, Hackman, I believe, was it right around the end of World War II. I mean, he's old enough to have been that, you know. And he, I know he retired. He used to go eat at my friend's place in Burbank. And I was on the movie um, Birdcage with Nathan Lane. And I was cut out, and there was a good reason I was cut out. It was a, I did a dramatic scene with Robin Williams, and Mike Nichols, the director, wrote me a beautiful letter. But he felt it had taken away from the um, comedy. And that's a story I can tell you. If I find the uh, letter, I could show you. But but Gene came up to me and told me he liked my work on The Bodyguard. And I was like, this was my guy. But that you make a good point. I He's such a story. But I think, I can't remember now what they call China Marines. I think that was right before, around Korea or like that. I mean, he, so he's got to be up in years, you know? yeah. Um, he's probably 89, 90, maybe. He's pretty... Well, yeah. if you look at it, Robert Duval, I believe, just turned 90. I get to work with him. You you see these guys, Dustin, and even Dustin, I'm not sure how old Dustin is, but you see these guys all lived, like, in the village together. You find out later on. They all came to New York, and they studied with, you know, New York acting teachers, and they struggled together. And you find out they were all, like, uh, some of these real famous big time they go Hollywood actors no had really made their bones in New York you know and uh, but you know who I froze in front of and I wanted to tell him so bad specific stuff and I should have I was Nathan Lane had a 50th birthday party and we were doing the odd couple and you cannot believe the list of people there Neil Simon always Mel Brooks and Joanne oh. said go up and say hello to him and I went, hi, uh, this is my wife, the doctor, something like that. And he said, how do you come here? I said, I'm doing it. And I wanted to tell him so bad that he had such an influence on me when I was a kid. My brothers would let me watch. If you ever look up show up shows, uh -huh. you can see some clips from it. But the list of writers on it, Woody Allen, Carl Reiner, Woody, I mean, these people formed American comedy, you know? Yeah. And a lot of, like, 
uh, lack of a better, you know, term, you know, just like Brooklyn Jewish guys that had a serious culture in New York or the Lower East Side that influenced that people don't realize. I tell people, you don't even realize how much even Broadway theater was. They did a special on PBS about, uh, again, and I don't make it as a religion, it's a cultural thing, you know, about uh, certain writers who snuck in seemingly uh, puffy musicals, but they, they, they snuck in real serious moral messages. And a lot of them happen to be of, uh, I say, culturally Jewish uh, background from Brooklyn and New York. And here's Mel Brooks, who influenced my life. And he used to, he used to say, uh, I remember he was interviewed one time, and I wanted to tell him this. He said that the only immigrants who spoke, uh, Brooklyn was a very different world then, the only immigrants who spoke English, only European immigrants were the Irish. So Mel Brooks said, you had all these... Uh, you had all these Jewish kids running around talking like Jimmy Cagney because we learned English from the Irish, you know, and it was such a great bit. Hey, Ma, listen to me, Ma. Jimmy Cag, James Cagney, the famous Irish-American actor who was, you know, uh, he was, no, I got to meet him at least and say something to him because I worked on his last job. And I know what you mean about wanting to talk to people before they die. Yeah. But, uh, he might, you know, sometimes people, when they look a certain way, or they, um, their voice may not, they don't want to be in the public eye. I, I can't speak for Gene, but he was shy to begin with. But Mel Brooks, I wanted to tell him, is a Woody Allen movie called Radio Days. And the opening, Paulie Herman and I play these guys who rob a house. It's mm -hmm. like an urban myth in the dark. And you cut, they get a phone call, and I answer it like an idiot. And you cut back. <laughs> And you see this great thing in Woody Allen, the Radio City Music Hall. It's the 40s. And it says, Mr. Needleman, you've been chosen. Uh, name that tune or whatever, right? And yeah. I answer it. And we actually start naming the tunes. But one of the songs was Dancing in the Dark. And I started singing it like that dance. Dancing in the Dark. And I'm singing it like that because Mel Brooks said up in the, uh, in the mountains, we call it, you know, Catskills, um, he said, uh, when all the comedians were there, he said there was always an old guy and he was on Johnny Carson who would sing Dancing in the Dark and stand up on the couch. And I wanted to tell him that story that I got to sing that. And it was a bit, and I should have. I, it's, I have very few regrets because just what you say, I didn't want to say the normal stuff. Hey, I like this. Hey, I like, you know, Blazing yeah. Saddles. Oh, you're funny. And, you know, and uh, I grew up in this neighborhood or whatever. I knew people from Brooklyn, you know, I, and that's that's uh, that's why I'm glad you picked very specific things. And here I go. I've had two cups of tea, and I'm I'm talking like a mile a minute. This is fun, though. But like the reason why, like I I have a podcast because I do stand up comedy. And actually, my mentor, who I open for, Norm Macdonald, uh, who loves wait now you know no I've met him once. He he's the he's the person you're doing a cameo for for Father's Day for him. Oh, you got to be kidding. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. I He is one of the all-time favorites. My friend Gary, who was on the Carson Show, who's an iconic bartender, a famous bartender, you know, what they say a celebrity bartender, you know, for 40 years up in L.A., in Burbank. He and I will play Norm McDonald's, and there's no one like him. And my friend Brad Isaacs, who wrote a lot of big shows like News Radio, this and that, 
and uh, Gary Sherman. Greg Sather, too. He, he wrote for News Radio. Ah, okay. I Because I did an episode of that. And Joe Rogan, I know for years and this and that. But Norm, he, he told Norm, you got to do a sports show. And Norm um, did it, one of the greatest sports shows. And I don't know how it didn't last because he's got – he Sports is show like, with Norm Macdonald, Comedy Central, 2011, right? That sounds right, yeah. yeah. And we loved it. We watched it religiously. And, God, I don't know what – this would be a very special thing. To, I mean, they were all special, but I got requested sometimes by people from my neighborhood. And I said, oh, you should have just called me. But I got, I got um, requested a young guy – said my dad i don't know if you'll remember him and he was producing he's producing now but he was an electrician lighting guy and the guy was always great to me and i said oh how do i do this without sound like i'm pandering or looking for a job and i put it off and i finally just spoke from the heart and i just talked about one of my friends who had passed away who i met him through was a crazy cockney guy who's just one of my best friends in the world and uh he was super healthy until his like uh, mid eighties. And then he, he had gotten a cancer thing, but he was just, I learned so much and he helped me out so much back in the day. I had, I had big relations with um, crew guys and teams. This <laughs> sounds crazy, you yeah. know, but, but uh, cause a lot of them were neighborhood guys or I'd met through Smitty and, and um, I did this and I finally just did the cameo with list like, I think 15 minutes. It was so, so absurd. And I said, you know, we were in Vermont together on 24. And I remember, and he had uh, talked to me because it was a real partying world in those days. I'm, it might still be but on the, in the closet, but it was like people were drinking. And then, of course, in the 80s, I know, I'm not saying he did, but there were people cocaine. And I remember him, he had, um, I remember talking to him one day and in the hot tub about how he didn't do things, you know, and how important it was to stay healthy and not go off the deep end as so many people did. Uh, and, you know, drinking was so drinking, excessive drinking was like at a time, I don't know what the world's like now, but it was an accepted thing with even actors, you know, Anthony Hopkins, I'm not an AA or anything like that, but Anthony Hopkins uh, has done so many wonderful things because his era people were hammered on stage and he's right. done a lot of wonderful things for people. He's been active and I think hey, for like 30 something years, 40 years, but, uh, did you uh, see his new film, the father? I, it's a hard thing for me to watch. I'm sorry. Cause there's uh, things in my life now and, uh, with different people and I will it was watch fantastic. it. Like, well, I will watch wow. it as a tech only for interest and, and respect, but I tend to not watch, especially with the things my wife sees, but I have, relations with people that I tend not to watch things that go like this, you know, yeah. I'm a comic guy and, and I will watch it. But what I was saying is I finally did it and I went, Oh, I hope I did that right. But I just spoke as sincerely as I could. I got a message. This was my dad's greatest birthday present ever. I went, wow. wow. And then, uh, and he said, it was great. And I'm so hearing from you. And the guy did like a, big monologue on cameo about my career and about this is why he's one of the greats and i'm like oh god no and, and special and <laughs> look up his life and this and that and great guy and this and that but it was funny it paid off and i don't mean it narcissistic or self-centered to say that 
but it meant a lot to me that it came out right. This one will be very challenging because I met Norm had a series and they flew me all the way back. I did not want to come back. I said, I'm not right for the character. And could you imagine who was uh, there? It was um, the three of us that made it down the network. None of us got the part because it was supposed to be a nerdy guy. And Norm was a um, ex-hockey player. And I knew that. I said, no, I'm wrong for it. The agent said, no, they want to fly you back. They want to do this. I said, oh, I'm on the East Coast. I got a friend. But my, my wife's there with, with a family. And can you imagine I'm saying that? I need the job. But I knew that we were wrong. And Craig Ferguson, you know, the guy who had the late night show? Yeah, he has got a snake cup. Yeah. Yes. Well, he was there. He was just kind of beginning in the States. He had been honored at, you know, won all these awards, I guess, in the UK or whatever. Myself and Fred, um, oh, God. Oh, I apologize for names. Uh, he was in Best in Show. He was on so many shows. Uh, he just passed away about a year ago. He would come on. Fred, he Fred come Willard. On. Fred Willard, right? The three of us were there. Now, these two guys were phenomenal. Three of us were there, and we had to go read with Norm. None of us were right from it, but Norm was so cool. And I said, I hope I see you someday. And none of us got it. And I, I knew we were wrong for it. And But, you know, they, they, they make you sign all these things. You're going to make all this money. You're going to do all this stuff. And you say, and Fred Willett is like, well, he was one of the uh, superstars, great. And look at Craig Ferguson, what happened with him. And they were just so cool to be with. And we just knew if any... If anything, maybe Fred could have made it work, but it, I knew what they were looking for, a cliched like nerd. And I'm, I'm telling the agent, we're wrong. I'm telling you, we're wrong. I'm wrong for this. Yeah. Please. You know, well, I he, said. He he loves you very much. He actually was pro probably going to co-host this episode, but he couldn't do 10. Oh, so all right. So I don't have to preach myself. <laughs> he couldn't do what? Yeah, he wanted to, because I usually have a co-host, but he's like at work. So I asked Norm if he wanted to step in and co-host and he wanted to, but I thought he loves you like very much. You're one of his oh, heroes. Great. You know, Kevin Pollack had a, um, had a, uh, the first, I think, live podcast or something like that out of California. And uh, I had worked with his co-host, his friend, and I said, I'd love to do it. <laughs> and this was about five years ago and I had detached retina surgery, you know. Uh, oh God, I don't know if I want that on the podcast. Boy, if you, have, if you have anything in this world, you know, oh my God, we can't hire him. He's sick. He's like, no, I had this thing that fighters and different people get and regular people get, but I couldn't do it for the longest time. And then it just kind of drifted away. And I always felt bad that I didn't do the show. So I'm so glad that I just went, yeah, just get off your ass and do this today. Oh, so I do this for Norm got to be before father's day okay i'm yeah. like after this i'm gonna like literally book it right now and hopefully i could get it today so like uh, i wish i could just do it for free for you or something like that or just no i want i want to support you so that's like, cool yeah yeah and you're I, doing I, you're doing an interview for me like i, I want to support you and you know it'll mean a lot to him so like it, it'll mean a lot to me too <laughs> uh but i i do want to respect your time but i do have three oh, questions please no i got I don't do anything for another, I can't even tell what time it is. It's 11 o'clock. Oh, I start yapping. No, please. Uh, uh, as long as you have time, I have time. I'm not doing anything for another two or three hours. Uh, okay. I'll get news. I'll get news. I, by the way, 
all this walk, and one of the things, I mean, I've one of the reasons I've felt so much super healthier, and uh, I, I'll tell one, oh, God, no, this will be on, it'll sound self-serve, but I, I'm like, I feel the best I've felt in like 20 years, getting back into old things when I was, you know, doing that, and it's funny how things can get away from me, like dumb and dumb, I look at that, I said, how the hell did I gain so much weight so fast? You know, it's like I look at it and go, oh, shit. But uh, I'd go through periods, I'd be watching kids, this and that, and I would eat mindlessly, you know? I wasn't like, I, was a, I wasn't a falling down drunk, but I would, whatever I consumed a lot of times. And one of the great things is I walk a lot and I become one of those, not like, you know, I'm not timing, you know, and uh, it's just like a natural thing that I, oh, I've got to walk to, uh, oh, I got to go to Home Depot. People say, you walked all the way there. I said, it's only a couple of miles. So I'll stop, go to another place. Oh, hang out in Barnes and Noble a bit. Oh, I got to get something at Office Depot. And I turn around and I've walked like six miles. So um, before the pandemic, I used to do that too, because I'm, I'm kind of on the overweight side. But before I was like walking, losing weight. And then when the pandemic happened, there was no place to go because everything was closed. So I kind of got overwalking. Uh, yeah, what I did was I just started walking, finding new areas around here. And then maybe would, yeah, when the pandemic was, when it was really restricted, I would maybe go into a store. I was so crazy. Grab something quick, buy something. <laughs> and my wife didn't want me going anywhere. And I would come back and go right into the shower downstairs. I take off everything, put it in the washing machine, you know, all that stuff, wipe down this and wash the mask. And, but I just found myself the, in the beginning, I said, I got it actually because of my age and everything I'm going, Ooh, they're looking about all the risk factors, weight, this and that. And I trained, I, my wife got me a Nordic track. So that made a big difference and uh, light, which I, but I trained and I used to do a lot of things, so martial arts, whatever. And I, things came back to me, but I found myself, um, not that I'm any master of any of these things, but I found myself in the beginning, trying to do it and then becoming quite hooked on it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, and that's what it, it takes, but that's the whole thing. If you had no, you weren't allowed to go to places, it was a pain. And I, I found places I didn't know exist around here. And there's some really great trees. And, and I was walking, I said, what the hell is this? <laughs> Where's that, you know? So that's a big thing. I think it helps with anxiety. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I personally, cause you know, I, I work at a grocery store. Like I wasn't scared of getting it. What I was scared was bringing oh, wow. it home to someone, yes. my family, yes. getting it. So That's I think why we like have anyone here. Yeah. So like that was my biggest fear because you know I love my mom very much, and I she got that. it. You know, uh, like my grandma got it, and you know she survived. So that sucked. But. Great. <laughs> <laughs> You know, my wife would come back and there was one time she thought there was someone, I don't know, we like separate, not separated, I mean, married, <laughs> but different places and we kept a mask on and then she was tested, she was okay. But there was, like you said, some some people around her and that was a, a, a that's why she was so careful about me. And I, I was careful about, oh, if I go into a store and pick something up or whatever, or a bank or whatever, you know, and then you come back and in the beginning, I would wear scarves, you know, and, you know, you found out that you had to wear a mask, but, you know, people would yell things, hey, in the beginning, they all thought they were original. Watch out, that guy's wearing a mask, you know, whatever scarf, you know, I thought it was funny. 
Yeah. You've had things in Huntington. I was just talking about Huntington Beach. That's kind of a controversial area. Did you see the well? There was like like two weeks ago a... I'm so sorry, but... No, tell me. No, I'm into this. It was like two two weeks ago, like a a gray well. I forgot how... It was huge, though. But like like it swam up on the beach. Wait, that I didn't know. I was hearing things... Um, the because we would go down to uh, Crystal Cove, and there was a gigantic like football fish that's like lives in thousands of feet of water showed up on the on the shore. Yeah, and uh, uh, and we used to go down to watch the dolphins, and we'd actually go to Hawaii at a special time to go whale watching. And uh, oh my god, so it washed up. I yeah, something- they're they're saying like a ship hit it in San Clemente or something. I don't, I don't know the whole story, but basically, I'll look it up. yeah, but basically a whale just showed up in Huntington beach overnight. And like, like everyone was scared. Cause like it stank and they thought like the, the odor would like kill them or something. It was a, it was big. It was the talk of the town for like two wow. days. Yeah. I bet. Wait then, uh, man, I gotta, I gotta look that up now because I try to stay on top of that stuff. You know, again, I'm going to quote Seinfeld, but there was a great episode where the whale well, is be, he said, George saves a beach whale. He's making believe he's a marine biologist. One of, you should just watch that one because it's one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. And Larry David threw a couple of lines in where I lost it. But uh, it's gotten to the point they make T-shirts because there's a talk. Because what, what I love about Seinfeld that people a lot of times don't get from other generations, it's like Larry David doesn't care about who gets things sometimes. There's so many hidden things like styles from 40 movies and references, references to contemporary movies that I explain to my nephews. They go, oh, I didn't know that because they love it. They watch it. They watch the DVDs. I said, now here, this is a reference to that movie, The Marathon Man. And said, oh, really? I said, this is a reference to, to a famous Arthur Miller play, you know, and really, really. And anyway, he there's a T-shirt that, uh, George has a line to say he was angry that day, my friends, like an old man sent, sell, sending soup back in a deli, right? Yeah. Well, my my brother-in-law just sent that to me, that T-shirt, the uh, name. But but what happened was that um, uh, we went to Maui and there was this like environmental group that has these tours, you know, and we're going out on the water. And I said, you probably don't know this, but, um, you know, it's a Seinfeld episode. The guy, the young guy started doing this. He was angry that day, my friends, like an old man sending soup back in the deli. I went, holy Christ. Uh, My mom just texted me and she really wants me to ask you this question. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to read it. I got plenty of time. Okay. I'm a pain in the ass. Ask ask Mike in the movie Making a Killing when you dropped the nail in the bathtub. Was that a nail clipper in the bathtub? Was that a character choice or your choice oh that was my choice oh god this is i can answer if you want i can answer what happened yeah yeah that movie was good my friend devin who uh, lives in the big island hawaii is originally from new jersey is a fa- it looks like johnny depp or brando him and his wife live there he is an underwater guy he saves manta rays and this and that he wanted to make something different. Unfortunately, he left out because he thought people wouldn't believe it. Three or four great stories because it was based on a real story. 
and he thought people wouldn't believe it. I said, no, that's what makes the difference between that and the Cohen brothers, you know? Do something quirky, outrageous, take a chance. And they also edited out, and he regretted it. They listened to some guy, and who the hell knows, but they listened to some editor. There was a big scene where me and my, you don't know, my partner, whatever, brother, whatever it's supposed to be, I collapse after I'm like speaking. I'm the mayor in the town, the mortician. It's really an interesting story. And I collapse against the fence with heart trouble. And it's a whole heavy scene. And crew and everybody said, oh, that's going to be great. And someone convinced them to take it out. And it doesn't explain. It doesn't, they didn't build up enough because of the editing, some of it, why that I was ready to die there. So, oh boy. So the day of, Devin says to me, you know, there's so many famous things. Godfather, uh, uh, Hitchcock, there's so many famous deaths where they do things. What can we do to make this different? When we started thinking, hey, okay. God, this is something weird to tell you publicly, but. um, If you don't want to do it, don't worry about it. I mean. uh, I do want to know. It's very important. Oh, okay. All right. Um. Maybe I can tell you private. No, it's well. Tell me when we get lunch. I'll tell you. Okay, but it was basically an homage. Part of it was an homage to my my brother Jimmy survived so much in Vietnam, and uh, about it was about five years ago. He was having health. He was collecting things connected with H and R, and she was one of the most intense. He was one of the most interesting, kindest, generous people, and lived in a lot of different worlds and cultures. I'd love to tell you about him. He was really interesting. But I was blessed through crazy ways because I went to a few, I flew back. I got to be there when, as people say, he passed on. And I got to, I was so lucky to be with him. We were so close. Because for years, I was flying back. We'd watch things on Memorial Day. We'd, he had such a unique sense of humor. And we'd watch things on Veterans Day, visit him, you know. And he was, he didn't wear that on his sleeve. I don't want to make that. He, he lived in so many different worlds and had this real, real streetwise guy, fascinating guy. But at the, I might as well tell this, at, you know, because it is an important thing. That, uh, that, that day, it was so strange the last few days. Different things happened. Billy Bob Thornton, I'm staying with my oldest brother. Billy Bob Thornton asked me if I'll come if I'll do this bad Santa until he calls me, I said, Jesus Christ. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wound up doing it a couple of weeks later, um, Montreal, but my different things were happening. My brother was seeing things and just really, really vibrant. And then he was getting sick the last couple of days. And I went there. So I had to stick around for an audition. It was Martin Luther King day. I remember. And there's a lot of stories I'll tell you personally, but at one point he asked me to cut his nails and I'm like, I was too nervous. And the West Indians are the best caregivers on earth. It was in a uh, more of a, a home rehab place for kidneys, this and that. It wasn't, they didn't have all sorts of medical staff there. And I was like, it was so funny. I was cutting, he wanted me to cut his nails. It was the strangest thing. So my friend Esther, one of my best friends in the world, and uh, her mom was a survivor, but Although Esther's not orthodox, she said, that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm not sure, but just that, but she would, um, she told me, she said, 
in certain, I guess, Orthodox communities, they, they might have a stranger where they cut the nails. Mm-hmm. After, after uh, that, they cut the nails and they bring in a person. I don't know if the person if the, has the sheets, but I think it's a, a stranger comes in and prepares the body, if I can put it that way. Right. It was such an odd thing. And my character was a mortician, and I talked to this guy. He had dealt with a lot of people in the Persian Gulf. We were in a town called Las Vegas, New Mexico, where the Coen brothers filmed. Are we running out of time? Oh, I'm no, sorry. my my sister. Oh, okay. She didn't know I was on the podcast. Ah, so Devin said, you told me this story about your brother and the nails and about when Esther had told me this, this uh, interesting story. Uh, I had told it to Devin because it was re- really weird. My brother out of nowhere just, and he couldn't even speak the last day. Not like he was suffering or anything, but something happened with his voice. And I said, wow, we're watching like old shows together and this and that. And I said, okay. And then finally, um, this woman, um, I believe she was Jamaican, said, Jimmy wants you to cut his nails. I said, I know, but I was just so nervous because they take the blood thinners. I was afraid I was going to clip it. She said, I'll do it, Jimmy. It's okay. And then literally like 10 minutes later, they called me and he was going away. I called my wife and she said, is there a pulse? You know, say goodbye. And we definitely made the choice not to do DNR because it would have been very uh, tortuous as tell you different friends I knew. So she said, say goodbye. My wife really is very philosophical. She, she goes to the end with people, but also even way back in med school was constantly educating herself on that and has dealt with so much. That's a great story. I'll tell you about her that was told so many great stories, but I got to be there and just sit and just say the light and was so peaceful. It was such actually a great ending and a blessing. And I told the story to Devin, the director, and he said, would you mind if we incorporated that somehow? I don't want to abuse. I said, no, actually it'd be a great homage to my brother. And so I, and the, Peter, the DP, was absolutely super brilliant. And what we did, we, he had me prepare myself. And, you know, spoiler alert for anyone, but he had me look and they really made me to make and me kind of, you know, and look in, you know, and sweating and look in the mirror and step into the bathtub with my clothes on and my, my shirt and my pants. Sit there and start cutting my nails. And he took this great shot. I get to two nails, as I did, right to three. And then it just drops in the water. And uh, remember, the, but there was blood, I think, I can't remember, but it just drops in. And then I go limp and my partner, brother, lover, whatever is supposed to be, friend, you know, comes running back in after we had this big argument. He runs through the rainstorm, uh, played by Jude Moran, who was absolutely brilliant. And he comes in and finds me dead. He blew his chance, right? Aida Totoro was in it. He runs off with her, you know, and then uh, we have this, you know, fight and just like, and I'm dying there, you know, and, and it just dropped. And it was a beautiful shot. And I Christopher think- Christopher Lloyd was in it too. Oh, he was, oh man. It was like 78 when we were doing it. And he got one word wrong. He apologized to me. I said, are you serious? And that was my first day of shooting. It was with him. We had this- really great scene and he was just always very complimentary and like i said if devin had put in a couple of the stories he knows that now 
it was his first film, first feature really. Had he put in, I think that um, the explanations of scenes, it was scenes, had he not cut out a few things, there were things that my character and Christopher Lloyd, we were both morticians. Mm -hmm. And I was the mayor and what else was I? It was uh, some third thing I did. I you were the priest too, right? Oh, I was a priest. I started my own church, that's right. Yeah. And it was really wacky and they cut out some of the priest stuff. And again, he listened, in my opinion, and I hope they edit us and hear this and say how, how I felt it. But it was a good film. It was a solid film, but it could have been, I mean, we have Michael Jai White also. It could have been a boom film. Right. I if, um, if he had uh, really just listened to his own instincts in the writing and the editing, and he knows that now, it's not like a metrician. We've discussed this. And well, he's a huge Razor Riffs fan. Is uh, <laughs> Devin, I'm gonna tell him that. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just, uh, but uh, no. I do, I do have a, a funny Christopher Lloyd story that I think you'll okay. laugh. So I actually met Christopher Lloyd like 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And it was at a bathroom because he was, he was on the Fox lot. He was filming a show or something. So I'm, I'm peeing right next to Christopher Lloyd. There's always and, great stories like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, just, I'm just like looking at him weird. Right. And it, like he's giving me like a weird look. I was like, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but are you Christopher Lloyd? <laughs> And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, I have a question for you. And we're still peeing, right? So it's really awkward. I was like, and who framed Roger Rabbit when you put the cartoon shoe in the dip? Why'd you do that? What'd that shoe ever do to you? And, <laughs> and he just looked at me. He's like, I'm very sorry. And then he laughed and I'm still peeing. I was like, why did I ask Christopher Lloyd that? <laughs> that is brilliant. I ended up working with him on shows that didn't go or being canceled. And he'd always be like, he'd just look at me like, like that. Right? He, it's like De Niro would do that too. But I mean, he'd look at like, you know, and we would talk a little, but that was it. And now finally we get on this and we, we actually had human conversations, you know, and, yeah. and uh, he was a very, very interesting guy. And when we did that, I know the makeup artist, um, Janine got very close with him and he st uh, started having her like come do certain jobs for him in New York and whatnot, you know? And uh, he's he was really something. And there was a thing they cut out, a lot of it. I do this whole uh, lecture or homily or whatever at the church and it made, didn't make sense a lot of things. He came over to me and he went, yeah, yeah. And they, it was weird. There was a couple of scenes cut out between me and Jude, for whatever reason, whoever controlled it, that I think would have made a big difference. Yeah. It was, but I don't know, when you see the film, one of our favorite scenes was our, um, we had this conversation after the murder, the death, you know, and we go, we're talking about how to, no, 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 because we weren't necessarily, you didn't know who the killers were. And this story was based on, I think, a story in Colorado. And someone finally got convicted. I don't know, one of the characters. But it's really, uh, if he uh, got stuck more to the story. Because I got interviewed. I, I, did, I did it yesterday, Kenosha, Wisconsin. These people asked me, this guy always has some sarcastic or something. He says, come on, really? You were this and that, your character. That's really stretching the imagination. I said, 
well, it was based on something that happened. And I went back to Devin and I said, you imagine that they said that to me? He said, how much of that is true? He said, that and your character smoked pot with Christopher Lloyd's character and you did this. I said, why wasn't that in a movie? He goes, I didn't think people would believe it. Look, this guy didn't believe the uh, real stuff already. Right. I said, well, the hell with that. You got to do what you got to do. So it was a big lesson to he and I. It was a lesson for me because I'm involved in some projects. And I, I'm, one of the projects I'm involved in, this guy said, we're doing our story. And if they don't like it here in the places I'm pitching, I'm taking it to Europe because it's an international story. I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, because I was on a film and that he saw. I said, I was on a film where I saw that it didn't. Yeah, you see things sometimes that cut out. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And I've been kept in famous movies. And I've even in some famous movies where I was asked to ad-lib something that maybe went a second too long and they regret it. Like uh, I heard that, like Martin Scorsese said, oh, he wanted that other scene, but he laughed so much, but it didn't fit in with the editing of the next scene. You know, it was a second too long. It made it to like four cuts, you know. But then you take something like... Uh, I had mentioned before the dramatic scene with Robin Williams and it just didn't work for what he wanted to do. He wanted to. And then his partner, Elaine May, his former wife said, and he said, and she was right. And I said, yeah, he was right. And he wrote this beautiful letter to me, Mike Nichols, but it's funny what's left in what works, what yeah. doesn't, you know? Well, we are running out of time, but I did want to ask this one last question uh, because, um, I like the ladies, but, uh, you know, this is my, my hero. And I don't like asking uh, questions about what was it like working with someone, but I'm going to, sure. I'm going to, uh, I mean, I'm like, I'm obsessed with John Cusack. So, ah, well, he's a friend. Yeah. So like, uh, what was it like working with him? The Cusack? How cool is that? Well, he wouldn't take credit for it, but I'm convinced he got me the job. So I told you about, I, I've thrown these words out, iconic. My friend Donnie, God rest his soul in Chicago, he was like, uh, oh God, you wouldn't get this reference, Touch Shore. He was a, a central, interesting character in Chicago in my life and with people's lives between sports people and, uh, you know, hockey and Michael Jordan would come there. But Cusack was his friend. And uh, I met John through him. So we would hang out and this and that. And there was a couple of things he got me involved in, but this... This, him and Billy Bob um, on that thing, Ice Harvest, was such a great experience. John was the type of guy who would say, oh, wait, I think I'm blocking Mike's close. I'm blocking Mike's angle here. You know, that's, that's how aware he was. He's got this, I don't want to say weird shyness, you know, uh, uh, in public. You know, he, he would, grew up in the theater, I guess Jeremy Piven's dad were, and his parents were famous then, and he was at the theater, and God, he's helped so many people, and I know, I mean, Jeremy, uh, and I think basically grew up, but I know that you'd see Jeremy show up in so many of his films. I opened uh, up for Jeremy one night. Did you really? Yeah, he, he, I guess, I guess they had like a, I guess him and Cusack had a fight that I didn't know about because Jeremy yeah, Piven yeah. didn't. They it was didn't. He, magazine, yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't he didn't like my my jokes and because like I I was like I was like so I was like uh, I'm the John Cusack of stand up comedy I just say anything and then I was like sometimes uh, it's good and sometimes I wish I was better off dead 
And now I'm opening up for Jeremy Piven, and you call that serendipity. And Jeremy Piven he didn't like that at all. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's tremendous. Well, how about, um, you know, in our lunch, uh, the stories are saying, not that I'm trying to be mysterious to people uh, here, but there's a bunch of stories. But John was always super kind to me. I haven't seen him in a couple of years when Donnie passed away, but he, he would actually call me. What's going on with Donnie? That, that would, I'd be the guy, you know, and John is, uh, I know he has an active political life too. And uh, also, uh, yeah, I mean, he goes all over the world and this and he's- I think uh, he's a genius. I think he's, um, he's also uh, a writer and he like- Yes. A lot of his films that he does, he rewrites his own dialogue to make it fit his need. And uh, a lot of people don't like give uh, artists is that credit when they're taking a writer's own, own point of view and he's tweaking it. it for the character and the story. Spade is a lot like that, I felt, you know, where he would understand it, not just for himself, but for other people. And John was very careful also that I came off well, other people, you know, he cared about the whole film. And I've had great talks with him. And we were going to do, we did a pilot that was interesting. I just think it was way too controversial for network team but he he always told me he wanted to do a thing about even chicago politics wanted me to play him we'd go to cub games yeah he's the- always there that's why i want to yeah. go i want to move to chicago so i could like be like all right am i gonna sit by john <laughs> and what's funny he's very kind but he's very shy in public you know he you know, pulls the hat down he's and he at least years ago i mean i don't know what it's like now for him but oh my god it was hard for him to go out in public and be like the Beatles or something like that. You know what I mean? It was like, uh, since in Chicago, yeah. I don't know places, but, uh, when you'd be there, like he'd say, okay, Mike, you know, he'd be throwing out the, the, the ball, the first ball or something like that. And the, uh, seventh inning stretch and we'd have this suite and he'd say, oh, Mike, listen, when we leave, you know, really walk down. I'm going, what, what, are you serious? But yeah, I'll listen. Sure enough. Oh my God. He's got his hat down. People are, Wah! you know, Man. people, I'm different, approachable. I'm a character guy or dumb and dumb, a good fellows of people feel they can talk to me. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, but it's really some, he's like, uh, he's one of those people that I've been with that. I was like, Whoa, you know, people, you know, so it was hard. We'd come to Stanley's and we'd have to go to a back room because, or, you know, there'd be different people. I met from, uh, got his friend and Oh God, different. A lot of interesting people. We'll, we'll have to cover that. But yes, I think he's brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. always very kind to of me. Very, uh, very interesting. Very knowledgeable reading about world events, this and that. And him and D.B. Sweeney are great friends. And they, from what I hear, they're on polar opposites when they discuss, but they're friends, but they think a little differently about things, I guess. I met, I met Cusack because he, what he does is he goes around cities and he plays a movie and he does a q a and stuff at oh theaters. okay and i met him there and like um this is why he might have a restraining order on me i don't know but like uh i was like uh he's my hero you know and like I, i've always wanted to interview him and my dad says that probably will never happen but i still in my heart believe it will oh, one of these so, days maybe we'll make it happen he gave me his assistant's number and his assistant never picks up but anyway wow. so so like I, I texted all these questions and John's mic'd, right? And he's like, this Keith Reza has a lot of questions. And <laughs> like it's a sold out theater, you know? And uh, 
he was just so funny because all his answers on the questions, he was just so nice. And then uh, he said, uh, give, let, tell uh, Keith Reza to come to the back for a VIP and I'll take a photo with him. So I got, I got, I got a photo with him and I was like, Hey, I would love to interview you on my podcast. And he's like, here's my assistant's number. We'll make it happen. That was three years ago. But I mean, I still in my heart feel it will happen someday. You know? Yeah, and it's been a few years since I talked to him because he kind of went off different places and it it might not that he needed only me. He when he was concerned about Donnie's health, he would call me and this and that. But it's funny, I haven't been there, I'm not living there, and my connection, I go in there and see mostly family grandchildren, but I still have friends there. But a lot of times the focus we would hook up at this place famous place Stanley's that Donnie owned and doesn't exist anymore. And I get messages still from people like, ah, it's, I went by Stanley's. And so I, I know when the time is right, I'll see John again, but I have oh, a Make sure you put in a good word for me. Say, oh, I got it. I got it. I feel funny that I told that uh, uh, story about my brother, but actually it's a good thing. I mean, he really lived such a uh, very uh, vibrant, interesting life. And, I thought it was a blessing at the end. There's a lot of things happened. We had this great funeral, just a, a diverse few guys and Vietnam veterans, but the long hair saluting. And it was like a very small thing, you know, and uh, the day after was a, uh, a massive blizzard. My wife just made it back to operate in California, different friends. And I stayed with my, one of my best friends in the world, uh, Brian Rose, Captain Cranky, who works, coaches with me, coaches me and acting, directing, and he's an actor in his own right. And it was a very special time. And to put that in a film, I felt was an homage. So I don't, and my friend Esther coached me on that, just told me about the ritual and maybe in even some other cultures, uh, it's a ritual, but um, it was really interesting. So I'm, that's, I'm blown away that your mom picked that up. Uh, yeah, that was my choice with the director. That wasn't in the script. Mike, I hate to be rude, but I did tell my sister I'd take her out to lunch. Uh, That's where, great. where can the folks find you and support you? Cameo, Twitter? Cameo, you know what? I should break down, especially now that I'm getting on the producer. I should break down and get Instagram, right? But uh, uh, Cameo, geez. I, I feel like, yeah, I just say this. People expect money. And, yeah, Cameo, yeah, it's not that much. Yeah, I could... Uh, that's the best way and I will work on maybe breaking down and getting a uh, an Instagram at least right so yeah. I can shit that but you um, remember the we got to because we got to set up a lunch now definitely thank you I have so a much places, gonna, you know in Tustin gonna, Market that are fabulous yeah all right I'll go there I'll, I'm gonna book you on Cameo right now uh, thank you so much Mike it was such an honor okay. and likewise you, you really made my day. I really appreciate well, likewise. it. Likewise. And you're a great interviewer, by the way. Oh, thank you, Mike. You great job. And what else can we do? We didn't, we did, a, we did it all. Okay. We we'll can have do this. you back. Yes. Gladly. <laughs> all right. Have a great day, Mike. Thank well, you so great much. Great job. Yes. All right. Thank you. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. 
I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there, www.stereo.com slash Keith and on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.